So I'm going to, at this time, introduce, this is a brother and sister team, and yet their whole family is involved. If my understanding, you'll tell a little bit about kind of that as we move forward. But this is uh, Mark and Terrace Chulian. They are um, with Sunlit Meadows Farms, and we'll get to go know them a little better. They're going to pick up that microphone right in front of them, uh, and we'll get started. But before we officially kick in, let's, uh, let's just bow for a brief word of prayer, if we could. Father God, we are once again counted a privilege to be here in this uh, time that we live in. Uh, I know this whole conference was a bit uncertain for a period of time and just feel like it's a true blessing to physically come together and to talk and discuss about various aspects of country living and farming. And today I just pray that you'd be with with, um, Mark and Tara's as they help share about their journey so far in the market garden space and um, how it's working for their family and things that they're learning along that journey. Please bless them and uh, bless each one of us as we're here today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So our first question is, give us a little overview of how how did your... Maybe you could give us a, an idea of, like, who all is involved in the farm as from, a, from a family standpoint and how you decided to... Um, what inspired you folks to get involved in the whole market gardening concept or the farming concept? Okay, so um, it's all it's our whole family that that's involved. Um, some of us in different aspects, like my brother Isaac does more of the blueberry business, and my sister and I do more fl- do the flowers. And it, we also work on the rest of the farm. But and then Mark is the one that's kind of heading up the market garden. Um, How did you, what, what got you interested, stimulated, gave you the idea of actually getting involved in a, in a farm life? I mean, were you, were you, ever since you were little kids, did your parents have a farm? Were you raised on a farm? Is that kind of how that happened? Well, we weren't raised on a farm, but we always had a family garden, and we more or less helped with that it varied and then but i've for me i've always been like attracted to farming it's always been interesting to me so did did you feel like there was there was a point in time where your family collectively had this kind of thought or inspiration or this pivot point where okay we're gonna we're gonna get a little more serious about this was there a point in time like that so, we kind of, it wasn't a real definite point, although we at one point, we kind of got more into, we were living, uh, in, well, we're, we still live, in, we're in Middle Tennessee, and we bought a farm, not specifically, I mean, we, we weren't specifically buying the farm with the intention to go full-time into farming, mm-hmm. but... After we bought that farm, it kind of, you know, we started farm, do, growing some stuff there, and then after, yeah, we, we were selling some of the stuff at a farmer's market, but it wasn't, like, full-time. Yeah. And then we, w- then we went, then ex- it was actually the summer before the first Ad Agra, we moved onto the farm, 
at, with the thought of full-time farming. And then we came to the first Ad Agri Conference and all those different things together just kind of got solidified, solidified it. it and got us into it. So I see you have a map here up on the screen. Is uh, I take it the arrow is pointing to pretty much where your farm's located? Yes. Okay. How was it that you decided to go there? Was that something your parents decided? Was that something you guys influenced, had any influence on? Or wh why, why there? Well, we lived at Wildwood most until the time, then we moved in 2009, we moved to Middle Tennessee to a small institution. And while we were living there is when we bought our farm. And the reason we bought our farm where we did is because it was four miles away from where we were living. <laughs> Okay, a lot of thought. Wasn't it? No, I'm just kidding. No, but you were there. It's not like you moved halfway across the country and said, we were looking in Tennessee, looking in Tennessee, and we decided, oh, Tennessee was the place, right? Well, it was, we were kind of Tennesseans already. Well, you know, a lot of people go about different, different ways to do that. So how much land are you? Oh, my. Well, that's not an encouraging picture. Is this, a, is this your current property, or was no, this your previous property? this is part of why we are where we are now. I see. Were you guys rice farmers at that time, or...? No, that was at the institution we moved to from Wildwood, which was a part of Wildwood. Yeah. It's no longer, it, it now it's, was basically bought out by another institution. Okay. But um, when we were there, we were, you can see out there, the, the, on the picture there, we were gardening out there. Uh-huh. And after having, well, that was the worst one, I think. But after <laughs> having that happen about three times in a year, as well as other times, we so were kind of put out with floodplains. <laughs> <laughs> did, now, I'm just curious to know, so when you moved to your new property, did you check to see how much it flooded at the new property before you, before you invested in there? Yes, we did. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. You know, sometimes, honestly, th this is something that is you really want to think through. If you have not bought land, do not assume it's always going to look the way that it looks when you're there looking at it. Rain and lots of rain and lots of water has, a, has an amazing impact on places that you just don't realize. So it's very important to understand you don't want this type of thing going on. It doesn't help in the whole garden experience, right? No. Okay. So um, tell us a little bit now about your current farm. How long have you been there? Um, how much land are you currently growing on? Give us a, give us a little introduction to the, to the farm, would you? Okay, so that right there is a, a rough outline of the property. And I guess we don't have any kind of pointer here, so. No, I don't think we do. We can't so. really show you. But anyway, there, you can see the creek running through the, the property. One, the one that's going from top to bottom? Yes. Last Butler Creek? So between, then there's another creek that comes the other direction. So right there, between the property line and those two creeks, on this side, is where we have our market farm. Uh huh. And actually, there's another picture. But okay. anyway. Should we take a look at that or not? Yeah, somewhere. Well, that's not it. I don't I guess oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who is, who are the, who's that little kid there on the right with his hand up? <laughs> that's me. That's you. I see. And who's the girl, the tall girl in the middle with the beautiful smile on her face? <laughs> okay, too. Very good. Now, you, but you weren't living on this property at that age. No. Right? Okay. Okay, very good. Okay, go ahead. Okay, that's, 
I guess they're not quite in, <laughs> in okay, order no problem. But so with that, there we're, we have. Okay, so you can see there on the on the picture, on the map. Uh, we're growing. So the market garden there, that bigger. The big, the big blue the big rectangle. Blue block okay. Is about one and a half acres, and then the other four smaller spots are where we grow strawberries. We grow about. At this point, we're growing four thousand plants. Now, you're, you're, so those four, if I remember you telling me earlier, those four spots, you rotate the strawberries yes. every season to a different spot? Yes. Is that it? So okay. they're on a four-year crop rotation. And in rotation with them, we grow watermelons and peas and soybeans if we can keep the deer from eating them. Yeah. And so that, those are one-third of an acre each, but we don't go, we are only growing about a quarter acre worth of strawberries in them at this point because we can't pick more than that. <laughs> So you said the, the, the block, the, the bigger rectangle there, you said it was an acre and a half? Yes. Are you growing that full acre and a half at this point in time? Yeah, well, not during the winter, but in the summer we are. Okay, so you have production going on that full acre and a half. I wouldn't say we're, we're probably, we're not real intensive there, but we're trying to get a little more that right. way. But it's, so it's not like... Yeah, it's not 100% all the time. So this, this looks like a little more detailed of the, so the, the, the one, the two, the four, the three on these bigger, that's your strawberry area, right? And then you have down here, I take it, this is where your, more your market garden areas here. And you have, it looks like you have this laid out into certain kind of grids or something, like I see yeah. a 1A, 1B. It's tell us, tell so, us what that's about. Mm -hmm. So we rotate each year, we have a plan a detailed plan of where each crop is going to go. This is actually our only, our second year on this specific layout. We, used, we had the plots longer before, um, but we decided to put in a permanent irrigation system, so we really had to think through our plots. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so we rotate from one, so say if tomatoes are growing in 1A, or nightshades in 1A and 1B this year, then the next year they're gonna go in 2A and 2B. So we just, it kind of moves works this way. And then 8A and 8B are going to move to 1A and 1B the next year. I see. And tell us a little bit about this particular, say like 3B, what is the dimension? What, what is that? You call oh, that yeah. what? Is it's that a plot? What do you yeah. call that? A plot? Yeah. Okay. And it's 100 by 42. 100 by 42. Mm -hmm. And then so each plot, how many beds do you actually have in each plot? We put 12 30-inch beds with 12-inch pathways. Okay, so you have a th the beds are 30-inch wide, they're 100 feet long, and they have a 12-inch walk, walk pathway in between each 30-inch bed, is that right? Yes. Okay. Now, our, our beds are not permanent, so, you know, that's, that's, that's the general idea, but... Right, so they're not raised beds, no, anything like that, but you pretty much, when you go out to plant at them, you're having a 30-inch bed... How do, you, how do you determine, I mean, you just kind of like eye it, or do you string them, or what, what do you do with the beds? Usually, well, since they're not permanent, you have to lay them off every time. Uh -huh. But usually, we use, we use a tractor quite a bit, because we have it. Yeah? We use it just for just about everything. Yeah. We have more than one, we have one bigger tractor and then a couple small ones. And so, I'll just, usually when I'm going to lay off some rows, you know, we're going to plant some, say we're going to plant our brassicas out. I'll go out and I put in uh, just an old wooden stake. I'll measure off for them at each row, and then I just sight down them and just drive straight straight rows like that. I see. 
So when you are laying out the bed, are you are you actually tilling it, or do you undercut it, or how do you what do you sh are you shaping it in any way? So not really. Maybe you wouldn't really call them beds, but anyway, we what what I'll what usually we'll do is we'll take the tractor with the which is a little bit big for that those size of plots, but we have a, a larger tractor with larger equipment to go with it. So we'll probably plow the whole, most of the plots will do a whole plot or half a plot, you know, at, at one time. Uh -huh. And so, except for stuff with like lettuce and, you know, smaller things. And so I'll plow the whole area and then we have a small tractor with a little thing on it that we use to mark off the rows and we'll use it to mark off the beds. And that's kind of how you mark it off. Yep. Okay. Uh, do, you, do you both farm full-time, or do you have other, other jobs out, off the farm that you actually work at? Um, it's pretty much full-time, except for working on stuff like AdAgra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the way, Tara is, is the person who's a brainchild. She, has a, a, you know, she works with a, a number of people that help lay out the entire program uh, the entire programming for this entire conference. So she has been very, 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 very busy. I hear her voice inside of our home a lot while she's talking to my wife. And uh, it's like she's, like she's like my wife's wake-up call in the morning, it seems like. There, there's Tara. She's calling again. Okay, so, no, but they have been, they have been amazingly busy with this, this, whole, this whole conference. So... Uh, how about how about you, Mark? Are you f you full time on the farm, or do you work yes. elsewhere? Is anybody on your family? Do they have an outside job that helps support the farm, or anything of that nature? No, no. Has that been that way for how long? It's been that way for since 2000, basically since 2015 is when we started that way. Okay, so about the last five years or so. Wow. Okay. Uh, how many people actually work on the farm full-time, part-time? I know in your family, you count your mom and dad, you have a brother, you both have a you know, brother and sister, there's what, six of you? Yes. So are all, I mean, does, does everybody have the same, it sounds like there's a variety of things going on here. You guys do flowers, it sounds like, but how, is everybody pretty much involved in the farm in some aspect? Yeah, so everyone's involved. We're probably a little bit overly diversified yeah <laughs> because besides this we have some other fields where we it's kind of my thing i guess but i, I like you know growing wheat and corn and soybeans and things like that on a small scale sesame seeds you know just whatever now is that part of the market garden i mean do you sell wheat and corn i mean and soy uh, soybeans on, uh, or is not, that not really at the farmer's market that kind of stuff just doesn't seem to sell there what do you do with all that do you, do you guys yeah, do it so kind of homestead? I mean, is this something you do for, that you use personally? or We use a lot of it, and then I'm not a good marketer, so I haven't <laughs> sold enough. <laughs> <laughs> but you, apparently you we like to grow it. Of, we eat a lot of bread that's okay. homegrown. All right. Well, okay, very good. Uh, as, well, as well as we make, when we have a piece of equipment we want or, you know, something like that, we make it. So we're... So you guys are pretty ingenious in regards to creating tools and things yeah, of that so nature. Yeah, so that, you know, that takes from the time that would be spent on the farm, too. So it's not like it's full-time farming right. necessarily for everybody. So that's, yeah, okay. So that's, that's, a little, uh, that's a little different, I mean, than maybe from some of the farmers we might talk to. But that, if it works for you, that's great. Um, 
tell it, let's talk a little bit about your whole water situation. I know you have some creeks. It looks like you've got a lot of creeks around there. Oh, what's this? Oh. Yeah, this is the layout. At least you can see the layout. <laughs> now, this is, one of, this is part of the market farm? Yeah, so this is those plots that were like 1A, 1B. Yes. That's kind of the middle section. Okay. And there you can see this was kind of last fall. You can see some carrots growing there. And we were kind of, we're not, in, we haven't done much winter growing, so we just had some greens and carrots there. Okay. And there you can see toward the packing shed. And yeah, that's looking out toward the packing shed and greenhouse. So do you, can you go back to that last slide just real quick? Oh, no, go on to the this tractor. One. So I see you're, it looks like you're disking or plowing here or something. Is that something you do pretty much every time you open a field for the season? Pretty much. We have a lot of rocks. And so uh, we have a lot of rocks. So it's, you can't just pull a disc through the field and turn it up because of all the rocks. It, it, it just won't cut in. So anytime the field's been, you know, sat over the winter with cover crop on it or whatever. Yeah. I pretty much have to pull a chisel plow through to soften it up and then pull the disc through. Wow. Does anybody else have rock issues where they're at? Yeah? Yeah. Now, I heard you guys are working on some type of rock project, <laughs> rock removal project. Yeah, so that's one of our equipment, especially my brother and I are the ones that do a lot of that, but our equipment building projects for this winter. So, so we're, we're, we're building a machine to pull behind the tractor to take rocks out of the garden. Okay, so but you haven't used it yet? No, it's not finished. Yet. Okay, so maybe next year we'll get an update on that, perhaps? Maybe so. Okay. <laughs> I know that's a big issue for, for, for some folks. So tell us a bit about the irrigation. I want to know, where, where do you get your water from? Oh, oh, well, we'll come back to the... Okay, this is like, we have the green, we're just going to show some, the greenhouse and packing shed. So oh. this is the greenhouse... And that's last spring. It, it sometimes it's like a little later than this. Is, it was is this super a house? That, do you actually heat this house? Yeah, we heat it with a hardy heater, which we have a picture of somewhere in here. There's the packing shed. Yeah, yeah, the hardy heater is later on. Okay. Um, this is our packing shed, which we built a cup three years ago. Now, when you say a packing shed, oh, is this the inside of it? Yeah, that's inside. Okay, so, okay. so it's, this is like your wash house, and okay, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Before that, we were using an old barn, which was not fun. Okay, here's the irrigation layout. Oh, okay, very good. Okay, so you can see, I guess you can't quite see everything on there, but you can see those blue lines along the uh -huh. plots there. Uh-huh, right here. So those mm -hmm. are, that's a two-inch irrigation line, a PVC we buried about... Oh, that was last, we did that, we put that in last winter. And then between each set of plots there, there's a, a valve box. These little, these little things here? Yeah, I think uh -huh. there might be a picture of that somewhere in here. Yep. And that water all comes from the well. We have a good well, it's off the map, but it's over there. And that, that does all those, it does frost protection for the strawberries, drip irrigation for the strawberries water for the packing shed. And it even goes across, across Last Butler Creek and up to our blueberry patch. <laughs> do, talking about irrigation just for a second, I mean, do you, you said something about drip. Um, do you, is that what you primarily use is like drip tape? So on, we, or how do you decide if you're going to use one or the other? 
Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah if you have more pictures, let's see that. So we use, we use a fair amount of drip. It depends, you know, some plants, they don't like water on their leaves, or some plants, you know, it can be beneficial to them. Uh -huh. And so, depending on what the crop is, we use drip or we use overhead. And we use the, inside our tunnels, what we're using now, we have three tunnels. We use those mini wobblers up there. The this top, is the top left, left. uh-huh. And then out in the field, we have those magnet sprinklers up there at the top. They have performed better for us with our plot size. They work really well. The wobblers, I think our water pressure is too high for them. And so they don't, they don't, they're not as even. They tend, they're not very uniform. So we're really liking those magnet. And then down there at the so bottom left is a larger rainbird we used to. Oh, gotcha. Do you have a certain rule of thumb? I know you mentioned just a second ago you use drip on certain, you do overhead on certain. Do you have a kind of a rule of thumb on which plants you do that with and which plants you don't? So we're not real consistent, but like stuff like tomatoes, we don't, we never overhead irrigate them. Or green beans or cucurbits, they don't like. You do that with drip tape? Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, the green beans often we overhead well, it's just yeah, not really right. practical to drip, well, yeah. drip them because it's so many rows. Right. It takes too much drip tape, although right. they, don't, they don't like the water on with all the humidity. Mm -hmm. mm, I imagine that must be somewhat of an issue probably in your part of the country, right? Yeah, humidity yeah. maybe becomes an issue. Very hum humid and some, you know, a lot of rain sometimes in the summer. So could we go back to the seed starting house just for a minute? Can you tell us a little bit about what percentage of um, what percentage of plants do you actually start in a seed starting, like in these little soil blocks here or these mm -hmm. trays? Um, and then how many do you do you direct seed anything for the market garden area? I know you maybe direct seed things like your wheat and stuff like that, but what do you do in the market garden? How much do you direct seed versus actually seed? you know, get to transplant yeah. and then transplant that out into the field. Most of it we start in the greenhouse, but things like green beans and most of our corn and um, we're getting more into doing our cucumbers and squash in the greenhouse yeah. just to cut down the time in the field. Um, what else? So pretty much all the other things you start in some type yeah, of... Yeah, like all the greens. Most... Every now and then we'll do some direct seeded, like turnip greens, mm -hmm. or something like that we'll do in the field, but most of it is in the greenhouse. So I ask, I want you, I'd like you to give us a couple ideas, a couple pointers that you feel like are helpful in regards to when you seed start. What are a couple things that you do that you feel like help you have successful seed starts that get them to good, healthy transplants okay. before, they, before, they, before you put them out in the field? Okay, there's some. Is there something you okay. think has worked well for you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, to get wow. You've got it. a lot of stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah, those are soil blocks. Can you go back to that just a minute? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that this. one there. Okay. These are soil block makers, and you just, you ha we make our own soil block mix. I think a lot, of, most people don't, but we do. We, Isaac figured out exactly how much, we used to have a lot of problem with our plants doing well, but he carefully went through and figured out what we need to add, and now they do great. Um, that that's like one of the reasons. Yeah. There's another reason why they do better. Um, so these, 
Those little ones hanging in the middle are the mini blockers, and then the taller one is a two-inch blocker, and the mini blocks fit inside. The big blocker has these little dibbles in it that are the shape of and size of the little block. And so you, so once they get to, so here's the little blocks. And then when they get like that, you just plug them into the two-inch block. And they, so you there's start no them transplant off. shock or anything. Right, so you're starting them off in little, well, do you start some things in little blocks and some things you just start in big blocks? Or do you start everything in little blocks and transform them into big blocks? Yeah, well, smaller seeds we start in the little blocks. And then bigger seeds like squash or corn. We would start in the bigger blocks. Okay. And then we also use inch and a half blocks for things like beets and green onions. Yeah, so lettuce. It sounds like maybe ninety percent of what you grow at least maybe, huh? In the market garden would be you transplant out. You start as a seed and then you transplant out. I don't know if it's quite ninety percent, but it's it would be a majority of the stuff. Pretty high. Okay. And one other thing about the little blocks is that when we start them, if, if they need to be in a controlled environment for germination, we use the small blocks because they take up less space. Oh, very good. And I take it this has something to do with that? Yeah, so this is our controlled environment that we made last um, winter, and it's really made a difference. It has, it's just an old bun pen rack that we bought, and then we insulated it and put a, Isaac welded up a stainless steel pan that's in the bottom with water, and it has a, a hot water tank element in it. No, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, we had to, <laughs> it's not just straight in there. We had to use a pipe so that it wouldn't heat the whole pan up at once. Kind of, we figured that out after the fact. And then we just, it's just steam heated. So what temperature do you typically keep it in there? Do you, do you have a sense on that? Well, it has a thermostat, and we set it, depending on what we're starting, like, greens like it like 85 degrees and, and you typically will leave them and peppers like it really warm some things like it more like 70 and a lot of the flowers that grow in the fall that we start in the fall we set it more like 65 so it's a lot cooler for those do you find that um um i mean with the with the, with the idea of seed starting like that do you find that it's you got to stay on top of that? I mean, do seeds like germinate in there and you leave them in too long and they get kind of leggy on you, or or how do you? How yeah, do you, you have to check it every day at least. So or else you'll get. At what point do you actually scrawny. pull it out of the germinator and put it into the, the seed house? I mean, the moment it actually just the moment. Yeah, you see that's it sprung, a little. It's been a little bit of a challenge for us to figure out exactly the right point because if you wait too long, then they're really leggy. Yes. But if you take them out too soon, then maybe they germinate slowly. So it's a fine line. But you find that this has made a big difference just in the germination yes. overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think that that's a, that's a good case. Um, tell, let's, uh, is there any other pictures you have regarding the, okay, what is this? Is that sure, the that's si- the same thing. You can see some soil blocks inside, and there's the thermostat on the side. Okay, gotcha. Very good. Where did you find that? Did you just find it somewhere, or...? The, the, the germinator area, or what? The germinating, the heater thing that you guys? We found the, it was a bun pen rack. Yeah. I don't know, you know, like they use in a restaurant yeah. or whatever. So we found that on on Facebook Marketplace. I think it was, I think it was Facebook Marketplace. 
or else Craigslist, one of those places. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That comes in handy, doesn't it? Now, this is the heater, I take it, for the seed house? Yeah, so that's the heater for the seed house, and before that, we just had an old wood stove inside of it. <laughs> and it, we would keep it above freezing, but we didn't keep a real consistent temperature. And when we put that, on, put that in, after we put that in, the difference it made was a lot more than we expected as far as getting good transplants <laughs> and... Our, you know, our tomatoes and peppers and stuff like that just did way better, being able to keep it at, you know, above 60 at night or whatever. Do, is this, do you heat this with wood? So that's a, what that is, is it's a, it's basically a furnace. It's a water jacket furnace. with a, It's a non-pressurized system. So you, you fill it with wood, and that one's, yeah, you can burn anything in there. You know, you can cut a tree down and stick it in there the same day and burn it, and it'll, it'll you know, like... If you if you run out of wood and you need you need heat that night, you just cut a tree down and throw it in there. And it'll, heat, it'll heat it that night. It'll work that night. So that's just that handy. simple. And of course, we usually try to get it farther ahead than that. I'm just wondering how you stick the whole tree in there. I mean, well, you, you, you do it chop out. it up into pieces. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, you don't have to split it. No. Yeah. So you can throw some pretty big logs in there, and that thing's big enough so we can fill it up full in the evening, and it'll keep it warm in the greenhouse all night till the next morning when it's 15 degrees outside. Wow. When do you actually typically start your, your, your first seeds for like this, when you're, when you're, because you, you guys primarily grow like spring, summer, yeah? I mean, generally? Are you, as soon you as we get back from attic. You're going to start, yeah, okay. So right <laughs> when you get back, you start, that's when you get it going. Okay. Very good. Um, what about soil fertility? Tell us, if, I mean, this is a big topic. It's a huge topic, but can you give us just a real brief synopsis of kind of, kind of what your thought process is in regards to helping build fertility, uh, soil fertility in your, in your beds and things? So for soil fertility, we're, we're basically following the Albrecht method. And we're not, we're not strictly organic, so... We, we don't use the sprays, and that's what most of our customers care about, is the chemical sprays like fungicides and insecticides. So we're organic as far as that goes, but for fertilizers and stuff, we use, at this point, we use, uh, you know, we use urea from, for, for nitrogen if we need it, and we're in, where we live, our phosphate levels are very low. Yours is very low. But we're 60 miles from a phosphate mine. So we can yeah. just drive up there and they put it on our trailer. It's cheap. So that's what we use for that. That's organic, certified organic. Is that which, Tennessee brown rock phosphate? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's okay. So we use that for phosphate. Uh, for potassium and magnesium, we mostly use the K-Mag or uh, potassium and magnesium sulfate. And you get that from where? And we get that from the co-op. The, in the next county over, there's a lot of agriculture and they have a lot of products like that. So. Okay, good. And so are you, are you doing some type of soil testing to know what you're supposed to be doing? Or yeah, how, how so does that work? we're doing soil testing, not as much as you are, <laughs> but uh, are trying to do like, you know, at least sample once a year for the market garden. Gotcha. And, and are you feeling that that's an area that you would, you feel like things are going pretty well in that area? Or are you, are you hoping for differences or um, what have you been seeing happening in that space? I think we 
Well, we've we've seen some improvement, but we need we're not we're not totally there yet. So we we have a, quite a bit of room for improvement there. Yeah. Okay. Good. Do you currently uh, you you mentioned about the seed house that you have where you start your seedlings? Do you have any other kind of season uh, extension uh, structures that you use, like low hoops or high hoops or tunnels or yeah? Tell us a little bit about okay, this. Okay. So these don't. <laughs> these are just actually when they still had tomatoes in them. But um, in the spring, we, we got these tunnels about two years ago. And then this spring was the first time we used them to really extend our tomato season. We planted plants that were like this big in April, the first of April, uh -huh. instead of waiting all the way till May 10. So that was really good. And it also helped with disease. And those tomatoes kept going a long time. So now, could you tell us a little bit, like, where did you, did you make those yourself, or did you buy them somewhere? No, those, are, those are from Farmer's Friend. <laughs> oh, you got, okay, so that, those are the, like. But the we actually got a grant that paid for them. Okay, so. tell us a little bit about that. What so do you mean you got a grant that yeah, paid for Yeah, we applied for this grant from, from NRC, NRCS, right? NRCS. NRCS, uh -huh. and they pay for, they pay a certain amount per square foot, and it doesn't matter if it really costs that much. And so they paid for how many square feet? I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was about the equivalent of one and a half tunnels that they paid for, and they require you to put up that many square feet of an approved structure. Uh -huh. But they give you a flat price for that. So that was enough for us to buy with these tunnels here, the cost was about half of what they were what they calculate for. So I think so we were able to get like twice as much as. So if someone in this room was interested in looking at a, like a, a grant, like through the NRCS, where do they go to learn about that? I think you would probably go to your county extension office, or your there may be a local NRCS office in the same probably be in the same area, same building or whatever somewhere. Yeah, good. And different. Every state has its own rules as far as, it's a, it's a national program, but every state it's different. So you just have to check and see what they approve and require in your state. Excellent. So now, do you have any, uh, do you use any other type of season extension? Do you have any like low hoops or uh, do you use floating row cover? Do you use any of those types of um, things? Well, okay, so mainly with the flowers, I guess, because they're not actually harvested like those ones under that I took that picture like a week ago and so, this, so there's are, a lot of flowers. Like a, is under that like there. a little wire hoop or what kind of hoop yeah, is that? Yeah, those are wire hoops with fleece over them. That's just to keep the wind off of the flowers. They're kind of just sitting there dormant until next spring and they'll bloom early. What is this that you have over the top of it? It's fleece. Fleece? Or whatever you call it, row cover. Oh, okay, floating <laughs> row cover. Okay. We, <laughs> we give it the So you primarily use that with the flowers. Yeah, but you and don't we, we it put it over our carrots, too, to keep, so that they can, we can leave them in the field longer. And the reason why you're doing that with the flowers is it just gives them a jump start, or it protects well, them, or what? they're what you call cool flowers, uh -huh. cool season flowers, and so we start them in the fall. It's, and it's flowers that would not thrive if you start them in the spring, but if you start them in the fall, they do great. And gotcha. then in the bigger tunnel, that's a caterpillar tunnel too, and it has anemones and ranunculus in it right now, which um, we're kind of learning on. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've done well with anemones. The ranunculus, we're still, I, I think they're going to do better this year. But 
Anyway, that's where did you get the little wire hoops? Is that something you made, or did you purchase those? We we got those from Deerfield Supply in I think it's it's in Kentucky. It's in yeah. Western Kentucky. Yeah, Deerfield Supply. Okay, very good. Uh, do you have? Um, I know I asked you guys to think about a particular. Oh well, there's a carrot woman. <laughs> <laughs> Is there something you'd like to say about those carrots? They look wonderful. They're really sweet. <laughs> Now, when did you grow those? Did you grow those? Is that a spring, summer, or were you just picking those in the fall? Um, we planted them in August, and we've been harvesting them since the end of October, I think. And no. Okay, go ahead. And then it, we need to get them all out of there pretty soon because they're going to start growing again. Well, they, yeah, that's a good time. And they'll year. lose flavor. Yeah. So help me understand, do you have a particular hand tool that is one of your most, is there other pictures? Oh, that's the tomatoes in the tunnel this spring. Okay. So in April. A, very so, good. Okay, there you go. Okay, this is my favorite hand tool at the moment, which I paid $5 for. <laughs> I paid Isaac $5 to make it for me. <laughs> it's, a old, it's a old hoe. We use these onion hoes that we buy for like $10 from a local handle factory yeah. and they eventually break off and so he just took a piece of stainless steel and welded it to the end and so I have a collinear hoe and what and do it, you do with that and then oh it works really well for cultivating small weeds and it's easy on your hands do you have one listed too Mark or did you just let her do that uh, I didn't put, <laughs> put a favorite <laughs> hand tool and I'm not sure what mine is the reason those hoes break though is because of all the rocks <laughs> Oh, that's a rock thing again. Yeah. Mostly. <laughs> Do you have, how about a power tool? Is there some kind of engine-based power tool? Or, uh -huh? So that tractor there is probably our favorite power tool. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of big for a microphone. That's a power phone, tool, all right. But we use it for just about everything. Well, what <laughs> you are you imagine. building? What is that? So that was building our packing shed, and we used it to put the wall up, stand the wall up, because it was a... A uh, wall that was a little too big for us. I to imagine you do some creative put up things. By ourselves, so. I imagine you do some creative things with that tractor, don't you? Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, I know that some people say, you know, about the idea of not having a tractor. You know, a lot of these small farms don't have a tractor, but you know, a tractor's a lot different tool than just going in and doing something on on your soil. Yeah, it comes, so in, it comes in handy in a lot of ways. If you have a front end loader on there and some different implements for it, there's about knowing the stuff you yeah. can use it for. Um, tell us a little bit about one of the crops that you, you personally enjoy growing. Is I know you grow a variety, but what, what is it tomatoes? Well, I'm not, I, I enjoy growing tomatoes. I'm not sure which one's my favorite, but I, I like growing a lot of them, but I really enjoy doing tomatoes. Very nice. Now, was this, this was the first year, was it last year you said was the first year you actually did them inside of a, a, a caterpillar, caterpillar tunnel? Well, we did them inside a caterpillar tunnel. This was our second year, but this was the first year to start them early in there. Oh, I see. And to trellis them with the that trellising system. Right. So you trellis those, and um, do you find that, did it make that big a difference for the tomatoes, putting them in the caterpillar tunnel? I mean, did you feel like, like wow, that was a, that was a pretty yeah. big game changer for us? It was, it was a lot better than outside, you know, because, well, I mean, like, this summer turned out to be a really wet summer. Like, I mean, it often does, but, yeah. you know, the humidity's 70 or 80% every day, and it rains 
two or three times a week, and so what, tomatoes don't like that. So, so the tunnel really helped, but the humidity is still an issue inside the tunnel, even if you keep the rain off. You know, it's it's so humid that the leaves get wet anyway, even if there's no rain. Yeah. So Do we you still find had some disease issues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. What's our next thing we want to talk about? Um, approximately how many different? Oh, oh, I'm that, sorry. That's your one favorite. of my favorites. What's your favorite? I'm that's sorry, That's one Paris. of my favorites. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, you and your sister are pretty big into the flower scene. Is that, yeah? Now, how, well, we'll get into this in just a second, but I'm just curious, um, how many different types, counting the flowers, well, I mean, I guess you could put flowers in one category, but how many different veggies do you, are you guys growing a, in a typical year, variety-wise? I'm afraid I didn't add that up, but <laughs> probably... Would be a good guess. Twenty, maybe. Twenty. And that doesn't crops. count Different the. Crops, that know. doesn't count the wheat, the soybeans, the. No, I yeah. mean that doesn't count varieties. Yeah. Grow, it might be more than that, because you know we grow, we grow quite a few different kinds of tomatoes and quite a few different kinds of lettuce. And so, yeah, and that doesn't count. That wouldn't count the wheat and soybeans and that kind of stuff. So talk to us a little bit about market. What, what, how you, you grow the produce, now what do you do with it after you have it? Give us a little idea of what, what you're doing, the different channels that you're using to, to actually sell your produce. Okay, so I wouldn't say that we went into this with the best marketing plan, and we definitely, AdAgra has been probably a big part of our success, what the success that we've had. Mm -hmm. um, but... Um, so right now, what we're we've done we've done farmers markets pr the whole time. Um, we started doing CSAs about three years ago, I think. We started really small, and then the year two years ago we did a few more, and then last summer we did about 32, which was we didn't feel like we should extend beyond that, but ho we're hoping to do more this year. And then we have. Our best market right now is at a YMCA. It's not actually a farmer's market, but we, um, the YMCA wanted a farmer's market at, at their place, and yeah. so several different farms participated. Is this a YMCA market? So the original, last summer we started inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bet it is. Are you doing anything, uh, the CSAs, the farmers markets of th that nature, is there anything else that you're doing in regards to um, market? So any other, any other aspects? So you have the CSAs, you have the farmers markets. Are those two, are your two primary channels or is there something else you do? Now, I know you guys told me something about strawberries earlier. Oh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about and I, that. I wish we had a picture of this because it was really amazing this spring. And it's always really fun when strawberries come in because our neighbors just come out of the woodwork. That's when we really deal with our local neighbors. Um, and we, this spring, with COVID going on, people just loved the opportunity to interact outside. And... So we had, <laughs> there was a picture and my phone died, so it's irretrievable, but 
there, I took a picture of, like, we had just a bunch of cars, you know, like, I don't know, 10 or 12 cars waiting. And we'd uh, just be picking away, and, and they'd be waiting there, and we'd sell them as fast you, as we picked And them. they actually come to your farm for this. Mm -hmm. This isn't something It's hard to make it off the farm with strawberries <laughs> because people buy them so fast. Like, so do you, how, tell us how that works. You have that available a certain day of the week, yeah. or do they just show up anytime they want, or no. how does that work? We pick three days a week. You have to pick consistently or else you're in trouble. So we pick Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, rain or shine, basically. Yeah. And so they just know to show up on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, or how do you, mm -hmm. get, that, how do you get that word out to them about that? Yeah, it's basically word of mouth. They know what... Or they stop by, and then we'll tell them when we're going to be picking. And then so sometimes we just say, okay, we're not going to be, we're, we're going to be taking them to Florence on this day, so we're not selling them, and then they just mm -hmm. have to wait. <laughs> but that's, uh, if I remember right, when I'm talking to you guys a little earlier, you kind of start your whole season off with strawberries, mm -hmm. right? So tell us a little bit about how long your season actually runs. You, you typically do strawberries. When do you actually start doing the strawberries? Um, the strawberries start in late April uh -huh. and continue through May, and so since the strawberries take so much time, I had a picture for that, but it's okay. in a different place. Um, we don't start our we haven't started our farmers market until June, which is really late. But strawberries are a really big source of income, so. So you start off with strawberries, yeah. then you move into your farmer's market, your CSAs. That typically starts running around June, mm -hmm. and that runs until what time frame? Do September. Typically? September. So you do CSAs and farmer's markets, in essence, from June to September. Mm -hmm. And then we, keep, then, then we sell some, okay, there's the strawberries. Um, we sell as, as, sometimes we take some stuff to town later. Well, like you were, you were mentioning to me, you, so, you showed a picture of your mom with some carrots mm -hmm. that were in the fall. That's mm -hmm. well after September, I would guess, right? Yeah. So what so do you do with those carrots? We just offered them to our customers, let them know we had them, and then they ordered them and we delivered them to one of our CSA drop-off points. Okay, so that was just kind of a one-time thing? Or? No, we've done that two or three times. Okay, and, that, and they'd show up just to get carrots? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So we sold quite a few that yeah, way. That's, that's, that's I think great. if we pushed them a little more, we could sell a lot more. Are, have you guys decided to do anything with any kind of stores or restaurants or anything of that nature? So we've tried a, a few restaurants. We haven't had any real success except with one restaurant that they basically found us and at the farmer's market, at a different farmer's market we used to go to Yeah. and started buying from us. And now... It's, it's basically, I think, the top restaurant in town. And now, anytime we have produce, we, you know, we, whenever we're coming, well, usually once a week, we send them a list of what we have, and they order, and we deliver to them. What, would, what, what are they typically interested in? What type of produce do you, do you typically find the restaurant interested in? The, well, we really basically just have experience with this one restaurant, but he buys just about... I think just about everything we grow. Really? Yeah. He's not like these chefs that move on, you know. Uh -huh. he, he's, he, it's his restaurant, and he really likes buying from our farm. And so we just text him the list, and he lets us know what he wants. Yeah, well, he's, he's the owner of the restaurant. Yeah. So 
Was it impacted at all with the whole COVID situation this year, or it didn't really seem to affect him much? It affected him some. So we didn't have as many orders part of the season. He had to close down a couple of times because, um, after, you know, because some of his employees got COVID. But um, he's, really in, he's really busy with catering now, so I think wow. business has picked up for him. How about with your veggies? I, I imagine, is, would it be a safe assumption that your strawberries are your number one seller in regards to over the, do you make more, do you sell more strawberries dollar-wise than anything else, or is there something else in that position? As far as food, yeah, we sell, we sell the most on strawberries. And of the other veggies, our, I don't know for sure, but I think our top crops would be like tomatoes, and purple hole peas, maybe okra, some of those things. Mm -hmm. This last year, we did the best we've ever done on summer squash, so that was a big, a pretty big crop this last year, which we were kind of, we were amazed how much we, how well we did with that. Yeah. And then our, our biggest single item, though, is the, is the blueberry nursery, so that's the biggest single income thing. The blueberry nursery. Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. I haven't heard about the blueberry nursery. What's that about? So the Blueberry Nursery is something we've been doing for probably about 20, we've been doing it probably about 22 years, I think. Oh, my. So that, we started that one. Before you were born, basically. Well, not quite before <laughs> I was born. But, <laughs> but um, so we started that when we were at Wildwood when, it was about the time Isaac was born. Uh-huh. And we've been doing that ever since. So we've grown more or less, but. Now, is the blueberry nursery, is that something where you're, you're growing blueberry starts? Yeah. And so you sell the starts, or what is it? We start blueberry plants, and Isaac had a class on blueberries, like some people may have been too. Uh, so we, grow, we start blueberry plants from cutting. We start our own cuttings and pot them up and sell them in six-inch pots. So, you know, they're just like a regular blueberry plant you would buy at, the, at Lowe's or wherever, although they're... How, how a do you nicer than most plants. How do you sell them? I'm just curious. How do people know you have blueberry plants? Most of the uh, blueberries we sell off our farm. We advertise it on Facebook Marketplace and word of mouth. And and this so year, I think I think it's because of COVID. Anyway, they've been quite popular this year. So we've sold. A, they're selling faster than normal. I think. So they come to your farm and buy them right there on, on at the farm. Yeah. So we'll sell some. We sell some directly to people. Sometimes we'll wholesale some. We've sold as many as two or 3,000 to one person before. So wow. In, in one, one day, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right, so uh, we're running close to, uh, we're, we're doing good on time, but I have just a couple more questions here. So if you, if you were to start the farm experience over again, knowing what you know today, what would you, what would be, uh, would there be anything you'd do differently? Um, I guess have a better plan of where you're headed. <laughs> we were we were having a lot of fun, and we sh we needed to plan a little more, I would say. And um, try to learn as much as you can from other farms. Mm. Did I mean, you d we did you do that at all? I mean, did you find yourself, or did you kind of bootstrap it and just try to figure most of this out by yourself? How, how did that work? Well, we learned from, we didn't learn, we've learned from die singers 
And other than that, it's mostly been from what we, what we figure out ourselves and from what we learned here at Agra. So just kind of on the ground experience, so to speak. As well as we talked to yeah. other, we've learned from some of the local farmers and stuff, but that's not so much produce production as other aspects of the farm. So we have some people here in the room that are interested in maybe getting into market gardening. What would you say would be a good first two or three steps for them based on your past experience? Go to Adegra. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good one, yes. Um, I think it would be very helpful to apprentice on a farm. I think you could save yourself a lot of mistakes that way mm -hmm. and get to your point of making it a lot sooner. Anything to add to that, Mark? Sounds like pretty good advice. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just curious to know, I think I may know one of these, perhaps from what you've shared with me before, but what would you say are two of the, or three of the biggest challenges you still currently face on the farm? Do you have? Here we go. So <laughs> Share with us what so you think maybe that would be. Probably one of our biggest challenges, and I guess we, to begin with, we were trying to grow more, some things like, we did really well with watermelons, for example, for a couple of years until the deer ended that. And so we've, the deer are one of our biggest challenges, although in our market garden, we've kind of had to leave off some of the other stuff because of them. Yeah. But in our market garden, we've been able to keep them out of that. Uh, how so do you do that? Well, <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> we have an electric fence around our market garden. One I think wire. the angels help us with that one. And the deer stay out of that. For the strawberries, one we use... Wire we use... Really? Yeah, but five wires, or eight, I don't know, I had ten wires around the apple orchard, and it wouldn't keep them out of there, so... So, anyway... Uh, I mean, was it a high fence? Yeah. Like eight foot? Yeah. <laughs> They'd go through it. And so... they go through it or go over it? Through it. <laughs> through it? Yeah, if they, if they want the stuff bad enough, sometimes they'll just go anyway. <laughs> and so... Well, I know, I know Joshua over here, Dysinger, has a... Has a uh, have you done your talk on pest... Your next one. Okay, very good. All right. So the deer are a challenge for us, but then probably another challenge is... is well, yeah, the rocks are a challenge, because if you want to, you know, hoe a, a row of or a bed of broccoli, say, if you, with all the rocks there, it probably takes several times as long to hoe it as if you didn't have rocks. So they, they present a challenge. Yeah, I would think that's a pretty big challenge. Do you have any other? Do you share with us uh, as your last, and then we maybe if we have just a couple minutes for questions, we might... Um, where do you, what, what is your vision in regards to, where do you feel like the Lord's leading you in regards to the farm in the future? Where, where would you like to see things if you could, you know, two or three, four or five years from now? Well, we probably, we haven't <laughs> discussed this enough probably as a family, but I think for, personally I'd really like to see it become a, a enough of a success so that it can be a, a good witness, yeah. and also so that we can financially have enough of a success so that we, 
we can be able to go on. I would really like to be able to do, you know, an uh, annual mission trip or something like that. So be able to, you know, support that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Tara's any thoughts from you on that? Um, well, I just, I really like the aspect that we, with interaction with our customers, it's just, it's like our mission field. It's where every market is a mission trip. And so we, you know, we mostly, we're not, we're not giving them literature a lot. We mostly make friends, but we've had a, one of our customers in particular asking us a lot about, the, about what's happening and about Bible questions yeah. and um, some others just really, they're, oh, like, we had one lady and she's, I mean, I guess, I, I just, I really like that direction of the farm in that line of missionary work. Yeah. Um, in some ways, I know that if you were here in the previous talk, by John Dysinger, he, you know, the thing about the farm, in, in a way, it's like evangelism's kind of built into the experience, mm -hmm. right? You're not like, oh, we need to go evangelize, <laughs> right? It's like, it's like hand in glove. Mm -hmm. It's like right there. And yeah. um, it feels like you're kind of living it mm -hmm. every day. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's encouraging. Okay, we have just a couple minutes. Does anybody in the audience have a, uh, any questions for Mark and Terrace? Okay, yes, gentlemen, right here. So the question is, from the gentleman uh, in the audience, is are you uh, interested in or have any plans of making the farm like, in a sense, like a little training center or somewhere where people can come and apprentice and, and learn, learn kind of how to do this? Any thoughts on that? Well, at this point right now, I don't think we're prepared for that. Okay. <laughs> All right, so the question is, a very, a very tough question might be, but the question is, is like, uh, how do you deal with a family member who uh, wants to have more uh, time outside of, of being engaged and working in the garden, wants to play all the time, but they need to be part of the team to help make the, make the garden and farm work? Fair enough? Okay, very good. What do you guys have? Any suggestions on that? Is that an issue for you guys at all? No, that's not really an issue for us. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, are you, like, talking about young children? Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think the main thing is to make it fun and just include them in the experience. Don't say, okay, you have to go weed that. But make it, like, part of your life. Just like we're going to cook together, we're going to clean the house together, we're going to garden together. It's just part of the way you do things. Was, you know, that ever, was that ever an issue, I mean, for you growing up? I mean, you guys have had the family garden and stuff for a while. I mean, I mean, was there ever issues where mom or dad had to say, Mark, Isaac, uh, <laughs> guys, it's time to... Was that, that, yeah, was that? so I guess I think when we were younger, 
the garden was fun, <laughs> but sometimes we didn't actually get that much, do that much to help, I don't think. We just had fun out there, so. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Interesting question. One more question before we break. And yes, yes. So the question is uh, about strawberries. Uh, how do you decide which ones to grow? Do you propagate them yourself? Do you purchase them from somewhere? Which varieties do you kind of go after? So we grow Chandler, which is what basically everybody else grows in the area. It's, it's the, probably the best overall variety for our area for, for growing them the way we grow them as an annual crop. And we buy our tips and start our own plugs. Fair enough. Where do you get the tips from for the strawberries? We order them from a company that's, I guess, based in North Carolina. They come from Prince Edward Island. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I guess everything comes from Prince Edward Island. Does I don't know. <laughs> I, I just know a lot seems it, to come from that I guess area. it's supposed to be disease-free up there or something, or less disease, less yeah. disease issue. Well, very good. Well, it's time to end our class. Thank you very much, Terrace and Mark. Didn't they good, good, good job? I mean, there's, there's a lot to it, and uh, we only have an hour to cover it, so, but we sure appreciate you being here and uh, sharing a little bit about your current journey and your family's journey at uh, Sunlit Meadows Farm. So thank you very much. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.